Today's scripture comes from Exodus 20, verse 1 through 7. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Heath. I would love to add my welcome to Daniels. If you're new, if you're visiting, yeah, it's great to have you. You haven't seen me for a while. It's been the last probably three or four weeks I've been here, there, and everywhere preaching in other places. So it is really good to be home and to be with you here this morning. There is a legend that is told of a king. And he summons his most trusted and faithful servant to come before him. And he says, I would like for you to find me the most valuable, the most beautiful thing in all the land. So the servant leaves, and the servant's gone for a long time. Weeks turn into months, months turn into years, and finally, the servant returns. He is presented before the king, and he's asked, what, what have you found? What have you found? And the servant replies, sire, I've been into every part of your land. I've been to every field, every farmstead, every castle, every, every barrack. I, I visited and talked to everyone, and I present this to you. And he hands the king a human tongue. Well, that's creepy, right? The, the king, acknowledging this sacrifice and probably slightly confused, he then summons his servant to go, okay, now go find me the most dangerous and most powerful weapon in all the land. The very next day, the servant returns once again with the same human tongue. Now, it's a ridiculous story. You get the idea. Uh, the human tongue presents us as people a bit of a problem, doesn't it? Uh, it has the capacity to extol loving words and careful, careful articulation and, and, and wooing another person, but it also has the power of mass destruction to absolutely kill and destroy, does it not? The tongue affirms and the tongue destroys. And this is the context that we find ourselves here in the book of Exodus. God, he rescues his people from slavery. He leads this ragtag group of about two million refugees out of Egypt, through the desert, across this miraculous thing where they walk on dry land and there's water everywhere and you're like, oh my goodness, what is this? And he brings them before a mount and he, and he, gives, him, and he gives this his people his word, rules to live by. And this is what he says in verse 7 of Exodus 20. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So therefore, it shouldn't be a surprise to us if the tongue is this powerful that right after he says, okay, be careful about thoughts that you have that are careless towards God's name and character, that's what Daniel spoke about last week about idolatry and, and making carven images. It says then this week, he said, do not be careless in the words that you speak about God's name. So we read this thing and we think, okay, well, okay, that was for thousands of years ago. People gathered at the foot of the mountain. Okay, well, this doesn't apply to us, does it? 
How many people feel off the hook with this one? It's like, oh, this is like a free pass. See, we have been conditioned to look at this and to read this text. We think, okay, I don't curse like a sailor. And I don't take oaths. Well, somebody's laughing because they probably think that I do. But anyway, we won't, we won't go there. I'm not really an oath-taking person. I don't swear and I don't take oaths. So that, how does this even apply to me? You see, this command has functionally become irrelevant to us. It's just a check off the list. Yep, freebie, got that one. Spoiler alert, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, I think this is the one that many of us in our day and our age, we actually have the most problem with. In fact, I have a problem with this one every single day. So our outline this morning will be threefold. It'll, it'll revolve around the orbit of three questions. It'll be, why is God's name so important? Second question will be, how is his name misused? And lastly, what is the punishment for this thing? What's this punishment that God deals with here? So point number one, why is God's name so important? So we've already looked at, you know, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. We've looked at that. He's stepped the, the stage pretty high. I alone am worthy of praise. Secondly, he says, okay, with that, you shall not make anything carved or whatever, and you shall not worship it in likeness. Even if you're thinking you worship me, you should not worship that. And then the third thing, he says, hey, don't misuse my name. Don't misuse my name. So what's in a name? What's, what's so special about the name of God? Now, you know, we, we have strange naming practices in the Western world, but in, in antiquity and in ancient cultures and even outside of Western, you know, culture, names are important. I have a friend of mine. He's of Middle Eastern origin uh, from Persian background. And due to many factors, at one point of his life, he was separated for many years from his wife and his small child. It was a really hard thing. And, and, and so there came a time after many years, we're at the airport, we're waiting for his wife and his baby to come. And my wife, she turns and asks my friend, what is your daughter's name? And my friend says her name. And then my wife, because she actually is maybe a little bit more culturally savvy than I am, she goes, oh, that is beautiful. What does her name mean? Now my friend, he prided himself on his English language and he was, we used him as a translator. And a sense of glowing pride, he, he thinks and he says, ah, her name means eunuch. And okay, we're, we're shocked and slightly amused by that. You're like, uh, that's cool. It's a, okay. And, that, and then he realizes his errors. He goes, no, 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 no. Unique. Unique. Her name is Unique. And as we got to know this family and we got to know her, her name, Unique, really described who she was. You see, a name embodies character. It's a unique marker of the very essence what that person is. So for fun and giggles, if you look up Heath, etymology of the name Heath in the dictionary, you know what it literally means? From the barren wasteland. What was my mom thinking? I'm like, okay. Anyway, back to Exodus 3. See, the name of God is no different. So we, if we go to Exodus 3, we have Moses. He's, he's been in the services of Pharaoh. He's been adopted son. He finds himself as a shepherd in the middle of nowhere, like backwater upon backwaters. He's hiding, and he is confronted by God himself. Well, tending sheep, 
He, he comes across a bush, a plant that's on fire, yet is not being consumed. And because this is weird, certainly not normative, he's like, okay. He moves closer to try and figure out what is going on. And he, as he gets closer, the stranger and more weird things happens is the bush speaks. And it says, don't come any closer because the ground you're walking upon is holy. In fact, actually take your shoes off. It's not probably something you'd expect to hear from a voice coming out of a tree that's on fire. You see, what comes out of the bushes is raw holiness. God himself, his character emanating from that burning bush. And Moses can't get any closer. And in the midst of this bush, God himself identifies his name and he addresses Moses and he says, in Exodus chapter 3, he says, I am the Lord of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, is this, if this is experience, couldn't it get any weirder and more strange for, for Moses? God calls and instructs this shepherd man, this old guy, to go to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh himself, and say, hey, buddy, you know that group of people that you've been building your empire with? that you've enslaved, I want you to free them and let them go because they're my people. And Moses rightly is like, uh, this is a little crazy here. I, I'm, I can't do this. And so we have a weird exchange. See, how many times have you read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, and you think to yourself, okay, all of these supernatural experiences, they're just like weird but, but they're so packed together, you almost get a sense that they're normative, an everyday occurrence, as if the very presence of God in a bush is like, yeah, okay, I saw the bush the other day. No, Moses realizes that this is a significant and profound experience, something that's not normal. And so he says, I think my people are going to think I'm insane, off my rockers, needing meds, visit the psychiatrist. What do I say when they ask, who tells me what, whose authority in which I speak on? So Moses, he hedges his bet, and he says to God in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he says this. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, as if, yeah, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So to legitimize the very experience as true, God reveals to Moses his very name. And in that name, we see the very character of God himself. We see in verse 3, or verse 15 of chapter 3, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he has sent me to you, and this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You see, the character of God that we see in this exchange, firstly and foremost, is raw holiness. It is righteousness itself. God is holy, and from that righteousness, from that holiness, comes love, and as we will see as we read the Old Testament, justice as well. But God is first and foremost holy. So God does the things that he promises in the bush. And he brings these people to Mount Sinai. And he says to them, 
Do not misuse my name. Do not misuse the name that I have revealed to you. Do not misrepresent my character. This is significant. Because if you, if you read the Old Testament, it takes literally like six or seven verses and it's all off the rails and it's crazy. Uh, as I was telling a guy this morning, I had a friend of mine who was a new believer and, and, you know, instead of starting in John, like I told him to, he reads the whole Old Testament, and I'm like, well, what was your, what was your opinion? He says, well, people suck. That's the best description of the Old Testament I have ever heard, and it's true. We go off the rails all the time because our tongue is difficult. You see, we are confronted by this same issue, Christ City. Do we reflect, do we represent the name, the Lord who is holiness, who is righteousness, who has great compassion, who shows love on others, who shows beauty, profound saving power. Do we reflect that? Do we proclaim that? Or do we misrepresent the character and twist the name of of God himself for the purposes of our own desires, our own whims, our comfort, our power, leading to great destruction? Might I suggest in point number two, Three different ways, not only the ancient Israelites, but we as, as people living in Vancouver in this time and now, may I suggest three ways we mess this up as well. First one is misattribution. That's a funny one. I'm not going to mess that up. Misattribution. Now, I've probably been guilty of this before. You can ask my wife later. But, but sometimes, probably the most classic example of misattribution of God is this phrase. It's, it's like happens in youth groups. If, you're, if you grew up in the church, if you didn't grow up in the church, you're fortunate. This is a good thing. But if you grew up in the church, you probably at some point had somebody come up to you and say, oh, God told me that you're going to be my spouse. Right? We've done, I have probably done that. It's like the cheesiest, creepiest pickup line ever. And we legitimize it by adding God's name and God's character in that. Like I said, ask Mariko, I have probably done that. Because she says, okay, well, if God says so, do I fight this? I'm like, this guy's kind of a creepy guy, but, but okay. No, of course not. We misattribute what God is actually saying. He probably didn't say that. But more seriously, all joking aside, this is what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5 when he addresses oaths. He says the claims, the claims that we make that our words are true and that our words are, are right and that we're actually being honest, we actually swear oaths to say, well, it's by God that what I'm telling you the truth. This, we've all seen this in legal dramas, right? I've, I don't know if you've ever been to court. It doesn't really matter if you've ever been to court. But, but at some point, I don't know if they still do it, but you know, portrayed in the movies, you always lay your hand on the good old-fashioned, like they picked the largest Bible in the world, and you got to lay your hand on it and say, I tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help me God, right? We all know that, right? Well, I find it's interesting that, that there is a need and a desire to swear by something greater than ourselves or perceived greatness to actually verify what we say is true. And actually what it weirdly tells me is that perjury or lying is one of the, our cultural or societal unforgivable sins. You see, that is one way we misattribute the, the words of God or that we misrepresent Another way that we struggle in this is, is that we think that in a binary way and we attribute all the good things in our life are from God and all the bad things in our life, they're, you know, all these difficulties, they're from Satan. Or even worse, we blame God and attribute to God the struggles that we have with our sin. 
our misattribution of God's character becomes the determiner for our flourishing life. But even more broad than that, we attach the character of God under the guise of God told me to our jobs, to our uh, transitions in our jobs, to our commodity purchases, to uh, even to legitimize where we're going to go on a holiday. Even maybe God told me that I think I need a new triumph. If I ever say that to you, permission to like say, Heath, come on. The one you have is perfectly fine. But this is how ridiculous it is. But we do this every single day. None of us are guiltless here. And I know I'm not the only one that struggles. So that's the first one, misattribution. The second one is under the kind of the category of, of lip service. So Jen, Jen Wilkins, she's, a, she's a, an author, and, and she, she describes it this way. It's pretty succinct, and I thought it's pretty brilliant, so I'm going to attribute her to it. She says, describing this particular issue, we speak hallowed words with hollow lives. Hallowed words with hollow lives. Now, if you read most of the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus interacted with the Pharisees, the leaders of the law, the Sadducees, all these fancy words to mean the Jewish religious elite. And he interacted. This is the issue behind all of those interactions. Now, one of my favorite ones is in Matthew chapter 23. It's like he's on this massive Twitter rant, but he's addressing the heart of what we're talking about here. So Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 to 28 Jesus is discussing and, 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 and having a nice verbal exchange with, with a bunch of leaders. And he says, oh, wish I could get away with this. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if I swear by the gold of the temple, he is bound by this oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple, which has made the gold sacred? What do you say? If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, well, that's, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So, whatever, so whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Now, we thought we had serious issues in our community. Whew. So he continues. In 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint, you tithe dill, and you tithe cumin. So there was like little things, there was regulations on how much of these spices that you had to tithe. And you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you have ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And this is pretty... Amazing what he says. For you are like whitewashed tombs, for which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you are outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And then he actually goes on to call them a brood of vipers, which is kind of cool. Christ City, 
hallowed words with hollow lives. We do the same thing. See, we misuse the name of God. We misuse the character of God. When we hold people up to a standard by which we can't even hold up ourselves. We use the name and character of God to deceive people into thinking that we've got it all together. When we don't. When we don't. We use God's character to falsely bolster our own personal holiness so that we look good in front of others. Hallowed words with hollow lives. See, the problem is this, really, in, in, in the, a distinct nutshell. We attach the holiness of God to our lives. We do this with our tongue, without the work of Jesus, his son, and we claim his benefits without acknowledging or surrendering with our tongue to him. And this is the very definition of hypocrisy that Jesus addresses with the religious leaders. Hallowed words with hollow lives. The last way we misuse the name of God and the character of God is what I call informality. And this is a tricky one. It's one in which we truncate, we reduce and downplay the holiness of God without the sacrificial element of Jesus. We elevate and pit one aspect of God's character against another aspect of his character, and we say, well, we can forget about that and we can just concentrate on this. You know, it's like we promote love as love, but we really don't want to actually have this love with, with really what it entails, with the sacrificial element due to sin and the brokenness that we all live under. We, we want this, but we don't want this. In fact, actually, we bury sin and, and we, we treat it like Voldemort, you know, the thing that shall never be named. That's what we do with sin. By default, we make God, we make Jesus into our own image, and we misuse the name and character of God. We reduce his holiness, the thing in the bush. We reduce his holiness and his glory to something that is more manageable and easier and more palatable for us to deal with. Because we dare not stand in awe of that because we can't tame it. That's hard. See, we treat God's name like kind of like a disappointing Apple upgrade. You know, you know like how many times have you had your Apple phone upgrade and it's like hard and, and it's like difficult and you're like, oh, it's really new and flashy, but really it just does the same thing with a different font or a different size of font or a different location. Like really, this is what it is. It's uninspiring but it's manageable. See, the God who calls himself I am, the God who freed his people from slavery, didn't give his people a system upgrade at Sinai. He made a whole new thing. A nation called by his name. And that brings us to our third point. What's the punishment? Now, let me remind you of our text this morning. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We're confronted by a significant problem here, are we not? What does that actually mean? What does it, what does it mean to be held, not to be held guiltless? What does that mean for us? You see, we read the Bible and we see all forms of consequences for contravening the laws of God that, that were given to Moses. In fact, right after Exodus 20, you'll see, you'll see what happens. So there's everything from exile to banishment to, to suffering to even death itself. 
What do you do with that? What is the warning here? Christ City, stated bluntly, we break this law every single day. Sometimes we are purposefully and deceptively contravening his word and his character. And sometimes we unknowingly and unwittingly, we, we contravene his word and his character. This is what we confessed this morning in our confession. But we have to take this seriously because the consequences of our misuse really, at the end, leads to death. Death itself. Dire consequences. All the fluff, all everything stripped away. You look at Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23, and it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yep, that's us. And for the wages of sin is death. Ooh. That's huge. Thankfully, that's not the end. You see, we fall into error because we do not keep this command. We need something or someone outside of ourselves that is greater than us to keep our word. We, we've already seen that. We, we need to actually attribute something to save us. We need the name and the character of God himself to save us. The consequences of our failure of messing this up is significant. But it takes the character and the name of God to uphold the character, and the name of God. Turn with me to John chapter 8. Here's another wonderful exchange. <laughs> He's talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the religious leaders are like super confused of Jesus's like power and where he's getting it from. And he's like, are you from a demon? No, I'm not from a demon. You know, and you have this wonderful exchange starting at verse 53 of chapter 8 of John. And so a leader you got to admire that one leader that asks the dumb question. That's because it's probably me. Like, uh, what about this? And this leader says, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If you were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> but I do know him and I keep his word. See, God keeps, or Jesus keeps God's word. You see that here. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? <laughs> Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Do you see what Jesus did there? Jesus hearkened back to the burning bush and said, they said they're, they're giving him a hard time. He says, hard time and hard time. No, 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 no. I am. I am. I am. In a succinct moment of absolute clarity, these, Jesus claims that he is the one that's in the bush. Verse 14, back in, in Exodus 3, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, surely this is the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And he says, all these covenantal promises promises. I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who sent me to you, and this will be my name forever, and thus I am to remember throughout all generations. Jesus says, 
I am the one who has been faithful to your forefathers. I am the one who sees your suffering currently under the hands of the Romans. I am the one who will free my people from bondage and from slavery. I am the one who keeps his word. I am the one who will go to the cross. I am the one so that you are, when you're still under punishment of death, I am the one that will take that punishment. I will die for you and you will have life in me. That's what Jesus says when he says, I am. Because he is being true to the character of God. In fact, actually, right before this exchange in, in chapter 8, verse 36, talking about how Jesus can free and, and unenslave people, Jesus says to them, so look, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So now we can read Romans chapter 6, 23, the verse in its entirety, and it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we are under punishment of death. But the great I am, the voice from the bush, the man on the cross comes to us and he saves us. He gives us something holy, something powerful. And he comes, he comes and he frees us from our entanglements, from our garbage, from all the times that we self-destruct, all the time that we want to self-medicate. He frees us and he gives us a hope that we do not deserve. Oh, Christ said he do not misuse the name of God. Don't misattribute his character and his name with your words or your actions. Do not speak holy words with hollow lives. Christ said he do not treat God's name in an informal and trivial way. Do not use your tongue for evil. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. You see, but if I stop there, it would be about doing good, doing better, trying harder, and maybe by our own might we could accomplish this, but it's, that's not the story. So I want to leave you remembering the words of John, the same John that, that wrote down this account of Jesus, and he writes a letter to a church. And in 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to paraphrase what he says for our context here. He says, I'm telling you this Christ city so that you won't sin, so you will not take the Lord's name in vain. But... If anyone does take the Lord's name in vain, we have an advocate with the Father. He is Jesus Christ. He is the great I am. He is the righteous one. And he is our atoning sacrifice for the sins that we are, should be punished for. But he, but he dealt with not only my sin and your sin, but he dealt with the sins of the whole world. So Christ said to you this morning, as we come to the table, come and confess our need for him. Our whole inability to actually Use the word of the Lord, the name of the Lord in correct ways. Come and confess and let us be reminded that it's in the Son that he sets us free and we are free indeed. Let's pray. God, we stand in awe of your holiness. Lord, you are so powerful. You, you hold us in the palms of your hands. And Lord, we acknowledge that we are wholly incapable of following you, of actually attributing things that you do, we attribute them to ourselves. And your greatness, we try to, to conflate our greatness in that. So Lord, we confess that we, we, we've had enough and we cannot do this on our own because it's in our own devices, it's left us enslaved and trapped. So Lord, we, we acknowledge that it is through your Son that can free us. And we thank you and we praise you that by your Son, we are free indeed. Amen. 
Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca.